Hello swimmers and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I talk to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. I welcome three-time Olympian Hayley Lewis-Taylor to the podcast today. Hayley is a dual Olympic medalist, world championship, Pan Pac and Commonwealth Games champion and holder of some of the fastest middle distance freestyle swims of the 90s. And now as a mother of an aspiring Australian dolphin, she finds herself back in the water after a very long break, enjoying pounding away and challenging herself and only herself several times a week for fitness and mental health. We talked a lot about the anxiety and the pressure she felt during her international swimming career and what she's learnt from those times. Let's hear about this and so much more from Hayley. I know you're going to love this chat. Hi Hayley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Danielle, you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. It's an honour to have you on here and I'm really grateful that you've um, agreed to come on and talk about your swimming. Have you been getting much swimming in yourself recently? Um, well, for years, to be honest, I... Oh, that fixed up my little brightness. Um, for years, to be honest, I didn't want to get in the pool. Um, didn't bring back a lot of good memories for me, unfortunately. So... I guess when I retired in 2001, the way to, I guess, keep active after that was to, I started running and I started really enjoying it. Um, During my swimming career, I never even went into a gym. So I never got to experience the whole, I guess, land-based aspect of being an athlete um, compared to these days where the swimmers do quite a lot of gym and land work. I wasn't exposed to that. So when I uh, discovered running after I retired, um, obviously it was a brand new exciting thing for me to be out in the fresh air and not with my hand chlorine. So, um, yeah, so I ran pretty much up until December last year, didn't do any, did a little bit of swimming around 2009 and went in some open water swims. Um, But then pretty much stopped in 2010 2011 and just got back in the pool December 27th last year and we were on holidays at Broadbeach and obviously my son Kai who swims he had to keep training so we went to the South Port Pool and um, his dad my husband convinced me to get in with them and yeah I haven't really looked back so yeah to answer your question um, I made my comeback in December last year (laughs) (laughs) so nearly 12 months I'm shocked that I've actually kept it up yeah so are you swimming by yourself or have you got some buddies to swim with no I swim by myself so um I do swim with my husband twice a week um but that's just a new thing he's he's decided to um because he does it alone by himself as well because we're both business owners so um, we just have to fit it in when we can and for me it's at five o'clock in the morning and for him it's in the middle of the day so but he's trying a new thing where he comes with me on a Monday and Friday morning. So, uh, yeah, so twice a week I have him join me, which is nice because obviously it's a competition. So I actually work harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds really good. And have you got any any goals or it's just mainly keeping fit, mental health sort of thing, getting in the water? No, no um, goals whatsoever other than just to get fitter. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a nice sort of meditative way of, of, of keeping fit as well, isn't it? Just following that black line up and down and you can just let your mind just have a rest, I find. I wouldn't say that at all. No, not in the slightest. Um, I think because I've still got that mindset that it's a race, um, then obviously, you know, for me, I'm more thinking about my technique and if there's public swimmers next to me of course I'm trying to beat them so I wouldn't say it's meditative whatsoever (laughs) so I've never turned up and thought I cannot wait to dive into the water and just have a nice meditative swim no (laughs) no definitely not for me it's get there get the job done and get out and I feel like I've you know done 3k and I I can start my day I love that (laughs) (laughs) 
let's let's talk about your swimming um back in your in your swimming career um so 1990 commonwealth games as 15 year old you go to auckland and you win five gold medals at the commonwealth mm -hmm. games that was a huge a huge deal and you became sort of the golden girl of australian swimming how mm -hmm. did you deal with with all of that pressure and i suppose expectation um i didn't i didn't deal with it very well to be honest um you know, I think there was sort of a long, it wasn't sort of like I burst onto the scene, you know, it had been, I guess, a. I started competing as a four-year-old with Cannon Hill Swimming Club. And um, I think because I had two older sisters who were quite athletic, they're tall, skinny, very athletic at everything. And I was this short, tubby girl um for me it was all about keeping up with my sisters and um being as good as they were so I think to be honest that started my competitive competitiveness um was just to be as good as them and you know I guess try and beat them because they were two and four years older than me but obviously that wasn't happening for a while but um you know just to see them I guess start doing these local meets where they would come home with ribbons um, as a four-year-old, I didn't have the opportunity to swim, you know, it started at five. So I had to wait a year to start collecting my ribbons. So the whole ribbon thing was a massive, I guess, carrot dangling in front of my eyes. I shared a room with one of my sisters and um, she started putting the ribbons up on her wall and it just annoyed me that I couldn't get the ribbons either. So I remember I used to make these ribbons out of cardboard, these pretend ribbons. And I remember <laughs> she, she used to say, they're not real ribbons. You know, you haven't won anything, which, you know, used to absolutely annoy the hell out of me. So, yeah, obviously when I turned five the following year and it, um, it was pretty much this real urge to yeah start competing and start getting these ribbons and uh and then when I turned eight obviously the Brisbane Commonwealth Games were held here at Chandler and um, my hero at the time Tracy Wickham well she's still my hero um she I still remember her competing in the 400 freestyle and just watching her swim and win and just walk around the stadium in her green and gold tracksuit the queen gave her her medal the, chat, the crowd was roaring that just completely that whole situation just really was cemented in my mind that 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 whole scenario that's exactly what I wanted Fauna Freestyle the Queen the green and gold tracksuit everything so um I guess that really really kick-started my desire to swim for Australia and um you know back in those days it wasn't strange I guess to be t told as a 12 year old I in a couple of years you're going to be competing for Australia so I think to be honest the expectation was always there that that's what I would um that's that's what I would lead to um so I remember at the time I went to trials and my coach Joe King from Leander he had already come out in the papers and said that I was going to get into five individual races at trials, which to be honest, put an enormous amount of pressure on me even going into trials. So I remember I was in my, I was in grade 10 and I was in my geography class and my teacher brought in the Korea Mail and it had this massive article about me in a few weeks time going to trials because trials was at the end of 1989. And I just remember I burst into tears and had to go to the sick bay because I just, it was just the enormity of, and yeah, I guess that was the first time I realised that I suffered from anxiety because I think I pretty much had an anxiety attack and my sister had to come because she was in grade 12, she had to come to the sick bay and console me and work out what was wrong and I just said I don't know if I want to do this. It's I haven't done anything yet and it already feels like it's becoming not a fun thing for me to do anymore and not an exciting thing. And I hadn't even, you know, got a green and gold tracksuit yet. So um, I think that expectation had already been building up over a number of years, to be honest. Um, Mr. King had me go to the 1988 Olympic trials when I was 13 and I just missed the team. So I think that kick-started some type of expectation in the media because back then swimming, you know, 
it was such a massive thing. It was yes. wasn't uncommon for a swimming story to be on the front page of the Korea Mail or you know certainly a few pages within the sports section. So yeah, I was already starting to feel like it was becoming too much, and I hadn't even done anything. So to go back to your original um, question or statement, going to the Commonwealth Games in 1990, I, you know, I can retrospectively look back now as a 48-year-old and see my happiness and pride within myself, but also an anxiety situation really starting to bubble under the surface. Yeah, because from a, from someone who always looked at you from the outside and, and saw you swimming, you did these amazing things. We always seemed very shy and very, it didn't sit, it didn't look like it sat well on your shoulders, like accepting that, even though you'd done these amazing things. I was so conflicted in who I was. I loved swimming so much. And as I've already told you, I was so competitive. But then there was this other side of me that, I did not want the expectation part of it. Um, it just already started to feel like the weight of the world was on me. So, you know, back in those days too, you were probably aware of, you know, 1990s, even 2000s, even 10 years ago, the mantra was toughen up. So you couldn't, if you weren't coping with something, then why are you doing it? Just quit. You're not tough enough. And I remember I would voice how I was feeling to various people and they would say well maybe you're just not tough enough to be an athlete whereas really I should have been going to a psychologist to try to work on my ability to not worry about expectation and and that type of thing and then just enjoy what I was able to do but it was just such a that whole toughen up situation just I feel like I didn't get to anywhere near where I could have in my swimming career because I couldn't work out my the psychological part of my mindset. And what the culture around that time in the Australian team, did that that whole culture, obviously you, you're with your home club. Um, I don't know whether Mr King was on the coaching staff of the Australian team as well, but you come into contact with a lot of other coaches. Is that definitely the sort of the message you were getting from them as well? I was very I was very lucky, to be honest, that the 1990 Commonwealth Games, Mr King wasn't on the team. I had Bill Sweetenham and he was awesome. I he was a I think he was an institute, Australian Institute, AIS coach at the time, and I was put in with his group and I was with the most amazing people in that group. Um a lot of medley swimmers because at that stage I was doing freestyle and medley. So I was actually in a medley group, which was good because the focus sort of wasn't on my freestyle. I was doing a lot of different strokes. Um, so he was really good, but I won't obviously point out particular people, but there were definitely people my whole time that I was swimming where it was, if you can't hack it, then stop doing it. You obviously aren't tough enough. So what do you even training for so when you're a teenage girl you've already got enough stuff going on as it is so to feel like you aren't tough in the thing that you're supposed to be tough at I was just broken really and the only two people that really knew how to get me out of that whole you know I'm a loser mindset was my elder sister Tony and my boyfriend Greg who isn't obviously now my husband so they were literally my two rocks who really I guess because my elder sister was so athletic and very I don't know had the mind of an athlete I guess and because Greg spent so much time with me and he was a swimmer in that group with me with Mr King at Leander he would see what I would have to go through he would see that I would just be at training and journalists would turn up or the public would turn up with cameras and take photos of me. And I guess doesn't sound terrible, but, you know, as a teenage girl that just wants to stay low-key and train, um, there was too much for me going on. 
And obviously, um, like I said, swimming was such a big deal back then. I also had that responsibility of sponsors. Uh, so Mr. King didn't like if I had, you know, things that I had to do. So he pretty much put a stop to that, which I was grateful for because I didn't want to miss training, obviously. So, look, as a 15-, 16-year-old girl, I should have had more mental support for sure. And then moving forward, I mean, into 1991, you went to the World Champs in Perth and and won um, the 200 freestyle. And obviously your sort of momentum was growing into Barcelona. Were you, you still conflicted at that time or were you learning to deal with that kind of pressure more? Because obviously every time you you swam, you became more successful, and obviously that creates more of, you know, the public looking at you. Is your dog there? <laughs> he's sitting there. I think he's waiting for my son to get home from training. Um, look, I'm still conflicted, Danielle, so it never, ever goes away, um, and I guess it only really got worse. So the only time I really swam with pure joy and no stress was at the 2000 Olympic trials when I made a comeback and I had Jacob as a two-year-old because it was the first time that, you know, I felt like I could swim and there was no, no one really thought I could make the team. So it was the only time that I felt completely at ease and it wasn't about me anymore anyway. It was about being a mum. So look, it, um, after the world champs in 91, you know, I was in grade 12, so I was trying to finish, you know, grade 12 as well, and that happened at the start of the year. Um, it was just hard, to be honest. And then, you know, I had a real problem with my weight as well. So from the time I swam at 1990 to the time I swam at the 92 Olympics, I had put on 17 kilos. So I'd gone from a little tiny girl to a mature woman with a weight problem so um that too was a really big stress on my life because you know literally everywhere I would go people would say gee you look like Hayley Lewis just a fat version or something like that so um that was a lot to deal with so and I should have had help with that as well but um and, you know, that's probably the only negative negative thing about training with Mr King. Otherwise, he was fantastic in every other way. But he, I guess, being old school, because by, by the time, you know, I even started training with him, he was a 75-year-old man. So he came from that era that you just talk to girls like you're fat, lose weight. There was It was just so, and it was something that... Um, I just felt this massive amount of pressure as well was my weight and that whole being weighed in at the side of the pool with the boys watching and, you know, it was a very, very con uh, confronting. Very confronting, situation. absolutely. Yeah, and when you're a teenage girl um, and you're not feeling great about yourself and you have to get in a pair of togs every day, yeah. it's quite difficult. So, yeah, look, I'm painting a really negative picture of how I was in those days, but, you know, I'm trying to obviously be honest and, but obviously a lot of fantastic things came from my swimming career, which um, I still benefit from today. So it wasn't all terrible, but I definitely know had I had, I had more support mentally, um, I definitely would have been a different person and a different athlete. Yeah. Well, I think some of the, the structures that Swimming Australia have got around the athletes these days helps them a bit more with that kind of thing. Would you like to see more helping the athletes? Yeah, look, um, as I said, I've my son swims and he's got high expectations of his himself. Um, he'll still tell me a few things that um, go on and which are concerning to me. Um I think they're obviously trying to do the best that they can to change things, which is fantastic. Um, and obviously there is a lot more around mental health and well-being, which is fantastic because no one would have even known what mental health and well-being was in the 1990s. So for it to be something where there's actually a team of people looking after that part of um, athletes lives moving forward into life after sport is fantastic um but I think it's gonna it's progressive um there's still this stigma 
and discrimination around mental health, unfortunately. So I think there's still this um, part of an athlete's mindset where you have to pretend everything's fantastic and you're coping well and you're tough and you're strong. So I think we haven't completely broken down barriers um, completely. So obviously that might take some time. Just changing the sort of the... um... The angle slightly i want to talk about like early in your career you did a lot of 200 400 freeze even as you mentioned before 400 im and then you sort of transitioned more into 4 800 even 1500 what was the what was the change there why did you decide to go to a little bit longer in your races because i put on so much weight <laughs> so um, um because of my body weight change um and to be honest i always think that um my uh forte was distance swimming anyway it was just that when i guess i was young um the 200 i was still pretty quick at um i i think i probably should have done the 800 free at the commonwealth games in 1990 um but it just was would have been a too big a schedule but uh I probably should have done that event instead of the 200 freestyle because that was really what my whole training had always been geared towards was 400, 800 freestyle ever since I was like a little girl Um, from the age of nine before I went to Mr King. um, I would just go up and down and up and down and up and down all day long and it didn't bother me whatsoever. Um, So sprinting was never, I still consider 200 metres a sprint. Um, and I think most people, maybe except 50 metre swimmers, 200 freestyle is still, it's a sprint. It's not, a, it, 400's a middle distance event. So my forte has always been to keep going all day long. So I think my body was always geared, more geared towards the four, eight and 1500 free. And I guess 400 IM, you know, that's like an 800 freestyle anyway. So 200 fly, that's another race that takes quite a lot of endurance and, and a big heart. So I think I was choosing um, events that um, required a lot of endurance and that's what my body always seemed to be um, better at. So that's why I guess moving into Barcelona, I didn't do the 200 freestyle. I just did the four and eight. And then obviously the following year at Pampax, I really wanted to break Tracy Wickham's 1500 world record. So then I started training more for that. Uh, And then it just became something that I actually started to become better at and I started to sort of chip away at Janet Evans um, in those four, eight and 1500 metre events and I honestly loved it and I think it had a lot to do with the fact that when you're training for those events, obviously you're training longer in the pool which made me feel quite safe. Talk us through the 800 in Barcelona where you won the silver medal. What were your thoughts like when you came out of the pool deck for that final and they announced your name and how did you swim it? Um, I didn't feel great in Barcelona because I had put on so much weight. Um, So I actually split quite a few pairs of togs in the lead up to (laughs) between the heats and the finals. So I was angry at myself that I had with the pressure and expectation I'd put on six kilos in six weeks from the time we left Australia because I was just so stressed um so I was angry at myself because I'd trained so hard and I wasn't able to deal with the pressure so I didn't actually like standing on the blocks to be honest because of the way I felt within my body so I Swam the 400 a couple of days before and I won the bronze but wasn't in, wasn't in a fantastic time, to be honest, um, and I felt pretty good in the heat of the 800. So I felt like, you know, I felt, you know, to be honest, Danielle, I was swimming for silver. I thought there's no way I'm going to, I'm in the physical state to be close to Janet Evans. Um, and I hate that I thought that because I've never, ever swum a race where I've been swimming for silver. But in my mind, I was thinking if I could just get silver, I'm going to get straight on a plane tomorrow morning and just get the hell out of here, which I did. So, um, I know I had the 200 fly, sorry, but after that, I 
left. Look, I'm I'm trying to be positive for you, but you know, I want to be honest. Um, I think it's I I think you're being really um you're being really honest, yeah. and I think that's what people love to hear. So yeah, it's um I think that's the thing. Um, for some people, it's not the dream come true, which you're expecting it to be. Yes. Um. My dreams have come true after my swimming career. So I, yeah, I took a hit during my swimming career, I think, because I didn't understand um, the psychological aspect of how I was feeling. So obviously I'm an old girl now. So (laughs) all the hard things that happened to me back then have been, yeah, I mean, I still haven't forgot about it, but um, good stuff has happened then as a result of what I went through. I've learned from it and been able to completely change the way I have lived my life after swimming. Yeah. Well, on a more positive note, you came back out of retirement for the 2000 Olympics and made the accident mm. and you were a mum. How how did you, how were you a new mum and, and able to train at the same time? I mean, that's amazing to me because both are full-time jobs. Mm. I had Jacob in April of 1998 and I watched the Kuala Lumpur 1998 Commonwealth Games on TV. I saw Rachel Harris win the 800 freestyle in a time that was slower than my best. And I remember thinking, I reckon I could have won that race. And actually it wasn't, it was only a couple of weeks after that um my manager at the time or he's still my manager but he rang me and said um I've had got this interesting proposal for you to be a spokesperson for this company and I said okay thinking it was a baby company you know because I just had Jacob so obviously I didn't have any sporting related um sponsorships coming in um, and he said, well, this company saw a picture of you on the woman front of the Woman's Day magazine being a new mum and they thought you might need some help. And I said, oh, okay, who is it? And he said, Jenny Craig. Oh. So, so I said, oh, okay. So I was obviously upset. Um, but, you know, I'd have to say it's probably one of the best things that could have happened. Um, you know, I just thought I've always had this issue with my weight and with Jacob I had put on 30 kilos during my pregnancy and I'd always done well in life when I had a goal to achieve and um, the goal was you know a certain amount of kilos in a certain amount of weeks and I just went into complete um, mindset I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve which I hadn't felt in such a long time having a really specific goal And in getting the weight off, I started back swimming a little bit. I remember Greg would push the pram on the side of the pool while I went up and down. And one one day he said to me, you look like you did when you were 15. You just look like you love it again. You just like that. You just look happy. And and I said, look, it's the first time I felt like this in a long time. And he said, but not only that, you look fast. You look, you know, and by that stage I'd got quite I'd got close down to what I weighed at the 1991 world championship so he said why don't I go part-time because he was a he's a physio and he just got a really good job at a hospital and he said why don't I go part-time and you make a comeback for the 2000 Olympics and I said don't be stupid you know at that stage Jacob was six months old or something and I said, how would we even do that? And he said, well, I'll go part-time and, you know, you go training and, you know, we're trying to work it out. And, yeah, I rang Mr. Crew because I was training with Kieran Perkins at the time before I retired. And uh, I rang and he just said, look, um, I want you to come back, obviously, but I don't want you to come back if you're going to muck around and just, you're here to, as a public swimmer just to, you know, I'm get, getting these guys ready for the 2000 Olympics. So if you're going to come back, I want you to come back with a focus and otherwise you can swim over in the public lanes. And I said, no, I really want to do it. And, look, to be honest, I started back in I think it was late 1998 and 
in June 99, I went on a distance camp and I realised that I had such a long way to go and I really did start to question whether I was going to get fit enough. And then I really put my head down in that last part of 1999 and by the time January 2000 hit, it was only a couple of months before trials, everything just started and I just started to get a little bit of my speed back and yeah by the time I and look the first the I guess the thing for me that really stood out that I had done differently was I had never visualized myself winning ever but in that whole sort of I guess 18 months Greg and I would just talk about how great it would be if I won the 800 free at trials like and we would talk about visualising me winning, him being up in the stands with Jacob, the whole thing. I just played it over and over in my mind every night, every day. I just, it was happening already. So I think by the time I got to trials, I had a good 400 freestyle. I think I came third. Obviously, they take first two. So I didn't think I was going to even make the 800 so the 400 wasn't even but I think because I had a good 400 I was already feeling good for the 800 so yeah it was just one thing after another and it all just fell into place and I've never felt I've never seen myself finish a race and be genuinely elated That, I guess, also made me start realising what was really important in life too was um, enjoying yourself, not putting so much pressure on the situation. It's just enjoying, I guess, setting yourself a goal and just enjoying the process, the journey, and I had completely you know, because I already felt like I was a mum, that was my main priority. And if I didn't make the team, I had already decided that, um, well, I'd already made an open water team to go to Hawaii in November. So it was already, I was already in my mind that if I didn't go to the Olympics, I was already on this other Australian team to do an open water swim. So I literally had nothing to lose. That's probably why it was such a, a joy for you to swim it. And to have Jacob and Greg there, um, you know, it literally was the three of us that was, I I had done it for the three of us. It was yeah. definitely not an individual success story. It was, you know, Jacob completely understanding as, you, as much as you can as a two-year-old what I was doing. That was me in the water. Um, and obviously Greg had been with me, has been with me since I was 15. So he knew obviously the journey that I had been on the roller coaster of emotions and, um, you know, finally get to a state where I was, yeah, honestly happy. It's literally the best swimming race in my mind that I ever did. That's Lovely. I love hearing that. Yeah, I can, I still watch it to be honest because it's <laughs> there's only a few, couple of my races on YouTube, um, and it's weird to see me as a 15 year old doing one of my races, and I can hear myself talking, and 
I just sound so nervous, um, obviously, because I'm only 15, but um, I can definitely see it's just a complete shift in, and that comes with age, obviously, but just that shift in, um, you know, how I felt. And, you know, that comes with age as well. You become more mature and you understand um, what's more important as you get older. And I think, you know, for me, my life really started the day that I had Jacob, to be honest. So to experience that success and have him there as well was just like, yeah. Yeah. When when you went into the village in Sydney, um, were you able to still see Jacob? Like that would have been hard to be apart from him. That was the worst part. And I think that's why I didn't swim great at the Olympics is the trials were my Olympics. I think I didn't think past, you know, having to go away on camps. Um, I think there was six weeks before six week gap between where I'd see him. And back then, you know, there was no Skype, there's no FaceTime, there's no, so I, it was so hard. I remember I'd cry a lot, which is probably why I didn't swim great at the Olympics. But, um, you know, to me, it was just doing the best I could on the day and yeah, just yeah, being saying I was a triple Olympian was pretty pretty special. Yeah. And, and that's an amazing yeah. achievement. Yeah, yeah, to have them there at the opening ceremony and then at the 800 free heat. Um, yeah, it was just, yeah, a, a good finish to what I'd started. What was that home crowd advantage like in Sydney? Um, I never really thought about it, to be honest, when I was there. Um, yeah, I think... I think, like I said, trials was my Olympics. So um, by the time I got to the Olympics, I was unsure how I was going to compete. So I started to get those nerves and anxiety back like I used to. But, you know, by that stage, I was by far the most important, not the most important person on that Australian. There were so many stars. To be honest, I was just one of the other people swimming in a race. So there wasn't a lot of focus on me, to be honest. But, look, to be, to have that crowd there, um, I can't really remember. Yeah, I think I just. Blocked it out. Yeah, I blocked it out, yeah. 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 And you mentioned the open water um, team that you made and then I know you went on to do the open water 5 and 10K at the Worlds the next year. What made you shift to that even that longer distance? Because that's five and ten k's, ramping it up. Because you you did the fifteen hundred as well, didn't you? Was it in Fukuoka? Yeah. Um, so when I made the Olympic team, I had said to our assistant coach um, at the time, Glenda, who was um, she was working with Mr. Crew. Um, I had said, look, I want to. However, I go at Olympics, I still want to keep swimming because I had this trip to Hawaii in November of 2000 and I said I think open water is going to be at the 2001 world champs and I really want to do do that and she said well okay well I think Kieran's going to retire obviously after 2000 so let's start focusing on you doing longer uh, training sessions and they used to open the pool at at UQ, especially for me uh, at 4.30 and I would literally get in the pool and, you know, do 10K sessions just over and over and over and over. So, um, and it was the only way really I could do it was get in earlier and um, be, in, be at home in time for Greg to go to work. And But to be honest, I could swim all day and it wouldn't, I don't know why it doesn't concern me to be in the water for an extended period of time. So that was just the idea was to, it was in Fukuoka. Um, my sister-in-law lived there. So it was just this idea that I had that I wanted to go over and it was more of a um, experience and a, a goal. Um, so to go away and take home a bronze was something that um, was unexpected. So, yeah, no, it was a good trip. Did you do any training in the open water or was it all in the pool? It was all pool. All pool. Oh, my gosh. No open water, no. I just, it was in its infancy back then. Um, so, you know, my coach didn't really know what to do. She never had an open water swimmer, so I was pretty much on my own. So I guess both of us just thought, well, if you're going to do 5 and 10, then we just do more Ks in the water. <laughs> so there was no real methodology to... Um, there was no tactical, there was no um, 
learning how to deal with tides and other people swimming and hitting you and that type of thing. So, um, it's my son. Um, so, you know, I guess it was, I tried to do a lot of, um, ocean swims here at the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast. So, um, but they were only little 2K, 3K swims. Um, but it did give me the opportunity to learn how to swim and go around boys and uh, learn how to, um, you know, see the markers and know landmarks to look out for to um, gauge where you're going. Because back in those days, there wasn't a lot of kayaks or canoes or whatever out in front to guide your way. So, and generally when I swam in Australia in those back when I was competing then, I would always get in the lead first. So it was always up to me to work out where I was going. So that was, I guess that gave me a lot of experience going into Fukuoka. Yeah. Did they have um, feeding stations and stuff then? No, it was just a solid 10K. It was, <laughs> I was actually watching um, the recent World Championships because my son who's at St Peter's, he's, best friend um he swam at the open water and he swam in the 10k and um kai said to me did you when did you stop to and i was like stop what didn't stop (laughs) we didn't stop so um yeah there's just no stopping so yeah it was no there's literally no stopping why would you stop it's like just just two hours (laughs) it's just two hours so and I never stopped in training. I'd do like 10K straight and never stop in training. But I guess you're not dealing. I was doing that at 4.30 in the morning. I wasn't doing that in the heat of the day yeah. in salt water when you're obviously feeling thirstier and, um, you know, you're losing a lot more, obviously, with the heat of the sun. So, yeah, I probably was nowhere near as um, prepared as the European girls were, that's for sure. When you say 10K morning sessions, was that just 10K nonstop or did you mix that up with? I remember the guy at the pool would open the UQ pool. He would wait for me to swing my arms a couple of times to sort of get myself all. And he would literally get, Glenda had given him his stopwatch, that was my coach, and she he would start the clock when I dove in and just put it on the block until she came in at 5, 5.15. So she would just walk in and I, but I would know exactly how far I'd gone because obviously I'd watch the clock. So I knew exactly what I was doing per hundred. So I knew exactly how much I'd done. So I never lost count or, yeah. What what uh, rate did you keep that on? I think on a good day, I could probably hold 430s for 400s. Um, on a bad day, maybe 440. So I would try to keep around under 110s, I think, because it was easy for me to watch the clock because I'd go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. So I knew exactly how far I'd gone. Sometimes I would count back from 200, which would just is just in my mind just so ludicrous but um yeah she yeah I'd like when she would get there because I'd think okay you're nearly there I'm getting there (laughs) when she'd get there so I'd feel like I I would always always be my goal to try and do as much as I could before she arrived and then other swimmers would start to get in next to me in the lanes next to me so then the time started to go quicker as well when other people got in the pool yeah yeah wow (laughs) I don't even know. I don't know. It's like I said to you, I just have never had a problem with swimming. And you mentioned before you've had another whole career on top of the swimming after you retired, like host of Biggest Biggest Loser on TV, obviously, and you've owned your own business or two businesses and you just got your Bachelor in Psychological Science this year and now you're Mental Health Ambassador for Queensland. Tell us a bit about that new role. What, what what will you be doing? And are you working with athletes or is it just mainly with general public? How does that work? Um, well, basically it started a couple of years ago during COVID. Um, I don't even know, to, to be honest, how, why I was sort of um, asked. It was not an ambassadorial role. It was more of a... Um, I think I'd been doing a lot of um, speaking engagements via zoom 
And someone from the Queensland government had heard that I'd been doing a little bit of um, work with Dell and they were quite happy with what I was doing and I'd talked a bit about my what I'd been through and how I was able to then move past everything and go on to, I guess, be a lot happier and, um, learn, you know, just understand um, things a lot better. Uh, and then obviously starting to uh, study psychology, I think Queensland government um, had heard about, you know, what the, the, the fact that I was studying and I'd been doing <clears throat> these Zoom calls. And, and so I was starting to do some videos and some um, panel discussions with psychologists and different people in the mental health and wellbeing space. And, uh, you know, it just happened so that at the start of this year, I was asked to become the official ambassador. So basically, I guess my role is to I've been doing a lot of talks with different teams in the mental health space and talking about the journey, I guess, that I've been on and what's important to me and how, the, I guess, the tools that I use and have used over the last few years to, I guess, be become definitely mentally stronger. Um, and, yeah, it's just, I guess, the whole idea is, is with them it's all about uh, workplace health and safety in terms of mental health. So obviously, as you can imagine, there's still, as I said, that stigma, stigma and discrimination around um, mental health and a lot of people within workplaces still feel like they can't speak up about how they feel. They feel like if they say, I don't understand what I'm doing or I don't understand my job description, it's making me feel stressed, it's making me feel anxious, et cetera. People don't want to come forward and say that still. Um, because it, they feel like they're silly or they feel like they're not coping. So there's still this real issue within our workplaces. And obviously, like you said, being a small business owner now for over 20 years and having employed, um, you know, people from the age of 14 up to 65, I've had to deal with very different personalities very different people in different parts of their life, different mindsets. Um, I've had to deal with employees working through domestic violence situations, divorces, um, gender issues. So there's been a lot of things, I guess, as an employer, I've had to learn about mental health and how to treat um, my staff. So I guess that's where it sort of all came together is Queensland, the Queensland government liked the fact that I was studying psychology I'd been on this sort of situation with my swimming where I had to really be mentally strong and I was a small business owner. So it all sort of came together. So my role is really about talking about what I have been through and trying to help people understand that. And like I have with you here today, you, you, there's, there's no point in pretending that everything is rainbows and sparkles and because sometimes it's not and people feel like they need to pretend it is so why aren't why are we pretending you just just quickly you just mentioned when you um do some of your talks about mental health that you have some tools that you use to help you with that can you share maybe one or two of those tools that you find successful helping you yeah, um, well, definitely, it sounds cliche and obvious, but definitely for me, having a goal, a real definitive goal has been always been good for me. Um, and while I said to you before, with my swimming, there's nothing really that I'm working towards. Um, there is personal things that I'm working towards, but it's not, I'm going to go to the Masters and win the 45 to 50 year old women's form. It's not that type of it's just a, I do I do these sets in swimming, so it's all about getting my sets quicker and you know times like that. So, um, so definitely for me, goal setting has always been something that has been really important to me. And it was weird because when I finished my psychology psychology degree in March, my kids said to me, um, "So what are you going to do now? What's your next thing?" Because they know that I like having something. something so um you know I guess having a goal when you get up in the morning is so important um and a lot of us obviously uh work well this is something that I guess that I talk about with the Queensland government and working 
in workplaces um, and also in sporting environments, you're working as a team really. So it's so important as an individual to have your own thing outside of work and outside of sport that you do just for you, so a hobby. So, um, you know, I have my little hobbies that I like to do and I think that's, for me, a relaxing and calming thing to do is to have hobbies. And But I think for me too, and I don't know how it happened I don't know whether it's because I started studying psychology, so I started to understand myself and I started understanding the mind, but I could definitely, have definitely seen in the last four to five years how I used to be so concerned about not what other people thought of me, but... um, I now don't care really about the stuff that used to bother me. I don't really care about anymore. So when the ability to let things go is just such a relief. Yes. So if you think about something at the moment that might be bothering you, the ability to know how to let it go. I don't, I think it took me years and years of training my mind to be able to It's not something you can think, I'm just not going to let that bother me anymore because the things that bother me, which I won't go into, but the things that bother me or bothered me, um, you know, I would get upset about for weeks. Like it would really, really affect me. Um, And I don't know, I just decided one day I was going to try to work out how to let situations not bother me anymore and it's definitely something you have to train yourself to not do and that's what yeah and I don't even know how how to explain how to do it but it's taking baby steps and yeah something will happen and it won't even go into my brain I'll just think whatever yeah, no, that's a good place to be. And I think that comes from experience and life lived and building along, you know, building on all your past experiences as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, for sure. But I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I do like the fact that I've got back into swimming because I always loved it. So it was always um, such a, you know, it's literally where I'm sitting right now, I would not be here if I didn't have my life as a swimmer. I would, I met my husband, you know, as a swimmer. Um, I was able to learn those amazing um, life skills that you learn as an athlete, which is resilience, determination, setting goals, hard work, um, working as a team, self-belief, self-worth, all those fantastic things. Um, I definitely, you don't know you're learning when you're doing it, but I definitely have seen as I've gotten older that all of those um, skills that I was learning without knowing it, I have passed on to my kids. So to see my boys be very such driven, determined, hardworking, happy kids um, meant that everything that I went through had given already given me the tools to know what I had to change and what I had to um I don't know pass on that all the good stuff that I learned I passed on and all the bad stuff I had to to do I made sure they didn't experience what I experienced so yeah it yeah definitely prepared me for life after swimming as a business owner and a mum yeah it's yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing story, Haley. I'm really, really appreciative that you've shared that with us. It's wonderful. I could, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I always I always like to end the podcast with um what I call the deep dive five, just five quick questions, a bit of a snapshot about your swimming. So favorite pool in Brisbane? The Chandler Outdoor Pool, which is often it's this new ski jump pool where they've got the ski. It's a 50-metre pool, but sometimes when I go there on a Sunday, they've converted it to a 33-metre. So my husband refuses to swim in it, but I'm happy to be. And I think it's because 
being a business owner, I'm all I'm inside all day long, so I never get any vitamin D or I don't see the sun. And in the mornings, I swim at QUT, which is an indoor pool. So definitely the outdoor outdoor pool at Chandler for sure. Yeah, there's literally nothing nicer on a Sunday when the sun's beating down on you and you can see the young kids on the ski jump and they'd be 12 or 13 and they're obviously their hopes are and I'll just be kicking and just watching them and it's just it's like I'm just having an out-of-body experience watching these fantastic kids doing this crazy thing. What's your favourite um, open water swimming location? Bondi. When I did the Cold Classic at Bondi, um, that was a really awesome because I remember I was filming The Biggest Loser and Greg was down with the kids at the time and Jacob, my eldest son, did did it with me. So, yeah, definitely the Cold Classic at Bondi. It was freezing but um, it was an awesome experience. Sounds like a nice one. Yeah. Do you prefer, prefer, prefer kick or pull? Pull, hello. <laughs> Long distance. I would have to... If I if I don't have fins, I won't kick. <laughs> and back in my day, we weren't allowed to wear fins. So if I had to do a kick set, I remember my best was 53 for a 50 kick. That's how bad I was. <laughs> I was kicking 33s the other day. So he's kicking 20 seconds faster than I was. So <laughs> no, kicking with fins, yes, but not... not <laughs> your son's a sprint freestyler anyway isn't he so there's no true yeah, true yeah so you can't compare no and he's 19 so yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite freestyle training drill oh, i hated drills to me they were just like oh, a waste of time but you know um probably one arm you know to be honest danielle we didn't do a lot of drills when i see and hear about Kai's drills these days. Um, if if he has to train differently with another coach, if if Dean's gone away or something with the other kids somewhere overseas, and he has another coach, he'll always say to me, "Oh, we're do- not doing enough drills." So I think um, maybe it's different being a sprinter. You have to be more in tune with your stroke. But yeah, to be honest, we didn't do a lot of drills at all. So. All I can remember was doing one arm butterfly. That was pretty much it. Or one arm, 25 right arm, 25 left arm. So I didn't come from an era where drills was a big thing. And I think being a distance swimmer as well, drills to Mr. King was just a complete waste, literally a waste of time. He'd rather us be doing laps rather than fixing up our stroke, which seems crazy. (laughs) Well, you're lucky you have a nice freestyle, so you probably don't need to work on that. I was a bit thrashy, but, you know, it got me there, got me from A to B. <laughs> and what, what's your favourite current training set that you do now? I do a 2K pull and 1K with fins. <laughs> I don't do sets. I do, I think because I have to get to work, I don't have time to stop. So I literally start my watch and so that's what I work, what I set up. My goal is I set my watch and my goal is to try to get faster over 2K. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't have time for sets. I think it must be an ingrained thing as well. When you have done something for so many years, it just seems, look, if I was, the whole idea was to, I was going to race in a master's race. Obviously, I would start doing sets and sprints and butterfly and I'd start, you know, but it's just not It's not what I do. No, it's just interesting to get um, your perspective on what you're doing. So that's that's people like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. No, not boring. I, I get it. I get it. When you get stuck into a, a 2K pool, um, I prefer to do kick myself, but oh, really? Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, I love. You it. must be fast. No, well, maybe over fifty, but it definitely drops off. Yeah. yeah. Can you do butterfly kick? I can, but I don't do it with a. I don't do it with kickboard anymore because my I just don't get enough flexibility. Right. And it really hurts yeah. my shoulders holding the board out in front. 
Right, yeah. I prefer you need to do extra, I'll do dolphin kick on my back. Yeah, yeah. nice. That's impressive. That. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I'd, I'd go up and down if I didn't have fins on. Yeah. I like fins too, though. Fins, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Hayley. It's been really lovely catching up with you and hearing all about your swimming. And I really thank you for being so honest and sharing that with us. No, thank you so much. And thanks for asking me to be on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, take care, Hayley. Thanks, Danielle. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Take care, bye. Gosh, I love that chat with Hayley today. I thought it was so wonderful to hear her story and how candid she was in explaining her swimming experience. I hope you enjoyed it too. And on a personal note, I'd really like to say thank you to everyone who reached out with support and kind messages while we had a little bit of time off the air. I'm really grateful and really looking forward to having lots of exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks. So make sure you follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on or social media and you'll know exactly when we're releasing any new episodes. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.